Uh, Dr. Pete Kunkel. Peter, actually, he was born in Ulm, Germany in 1956. He would end up moving to America when he was about five years old. Uh, neither he nor his mother spoke any English uh, when they got here. But I'd say God was with them and uh, has certainly done some great things through Pete's life. He grew up in Sebring, Ohio, where eventually they would end up going to a church where he and his mother were both baptized on the same day. He wound up going to Kentucky Christian College at the time. It's now Kentucky Christian University. And um, he graduated there, would eventually get his master's degree and also a doctorate uh, in the years that followed. Um, he served as a missionary intern in Alaska. That's a very interesting story if you have some time to hear him share about it. Uh, he took on a ministry in Barrie, Kentucky, and eventually would move to Kernersville, North Carolina, where he began working with the Kernersville uh, Church of Christ in 1982. And that was a, a fairly small church. Uh, they grew from around 50 or 60 to over 200. But in 1987, he and about 62 other folks planted the Kernersville Christian Church, which has recently been renamed The Crossing. And over the 35 years that he has led that church, they grew to over 2,400 people. Over the years, that church has helped to plant other churches as well as come in and provide leadership in saving some dying churches. So they're, they're more about the kingdom work and not just about themselves, and we certainly appreciate that. When we started Christ Church in January of 2000, Pete was one of the first people that we consulted with. He's always been extremely generous with his time and his expertise. Uh, he's going to be retiring in August of this year as the senior leader for the crossing, but he isn't retiring from service to the Lord. Uh, he will become the president of Hasten International, which is a medical missionary organization that serves the kingdom around the world. And it's my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Pete Kunkel to the stage today, and I would like to ask you to give him a warm Christchurch welcome. Thank you, Tim. My privilege to be here. Good morning. Uh, I'm trying to get used to how we do things differently here, and usually I spread my notes out because they don't uh, come apart because of humidity. But how many of you realize that COVID seriously affected churches in America? The latest statistic is that 7,500 churches have closed their doors. I've been an eyewitness to this and in our area of um, North Carolina. I'll be speaking next week at a church called the Chatelon Church of Christ. When I came in 1982, they ran between 350 and 400. There will only be 30 people there this Sunday. The church is in decline and, and very close to closing. And it's one of the saddest things because it was a satellite in the area in which it was planted. And people had vision for the church. 
But there's something going on all over the Christian churches and ministry, and it's called defection. And many of you may be in a defection mode, and you don't even know it. As we talk about this, I want you to realize that just because you're in the church doesn't mean you are the church. Any more than when I pull my car in a garage and it becomes a part of the house. I'm not a Christian because I walk in here. I'm a Christian because of the heart and soul that I have and that I've been dead to my sin and I'm alive in Christ. So this morning as we talk about defection and we look at this story, I want to take you back to where we were with Tim just a few minutes ago. The Lord's Supper is being given and all 12 of them are there, uh, but there's a traitor among them. And what's interesting to me is Jesus treats this traitor like he's really somebody. When he washes feet, if you knew a guy was going to betray you and that would lead to your execution, how many of you would be kind enough to wash his feet? I want you to think about what Jesus did and, and the great love because he never quit loving Judas. Judas quit loving him because he allowed Satan, the scripture says, to come into his heart. And it's a dangerous thing when we move further and further away from God. It gives Satan a greater opportunity to move into people's hearts and even into their churches. There's a departure from the doctrines that God has taught. And, and I've debated people all over the world and, and this issue of, is Jesus real? Did he really go to the cross? Did he really give his life's blood for us? Judas was there, and he was a part of this, and, and you can debate this theologically, but Satan came into his heart, and he sold him out against Jesus. So he's going to betray him, and if you've ever been to, to the Holy Lands, which I'll be going in November, and if you want to go along with this, you can call our office at the crossing in Kernersville, and you can arrange to go on that trip with us. But one of the things I do is I take people into the garden. Uh, where Jesus shared and where he was arrested. And the interesting thing about that is it overlooks Jerusalem. You're on this kind of mountain. And you're looking down, and back in that day, they came at night for him. He'd been praying in the garden, and that he could see the torches coming out of the gate and coming up the hill. And at any moment, he could have walked away. Any moment, he could have run, hid, whatever he wanted to do. But I think the hardest thing for him was what was going to happen to him. Because he knew that Judas would betray him, and he betrayed him with a kiss. Which is one of the worst things that you could do. How many of you have ever loved somebody and they betrayed you? You don't have to be afraid to raise your hand. I think it's happened to a lot of people. Sometimes it happens in churches. Sometimes it happens in the family. Sometimes it happens in marriage. So I want to take you to the scene where Judas is coming into the garden, and, and we're going to meet Peter. And there are some interesting things that happen here, but I think it helps us to understand why people leave the church. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, John 18, verse 4, "'Who is it you want?' And the people coming, which was the Sanhedrin guard, Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he replied, I am he, he said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. 
Now, if Jesus has this much power, and the guys who have come to arrest him, which is the Sanhedrin guard, they're the toughest warriors out of Israel. They're the guys when the temple fell in 70 AD, battled to their death. They didn't run. They didn't retreat. They tried to protect the temple. They were all slaughtered. And a guy who writes historical information about Jesus, he is a Roman, and he doesn't really believe that Jesus had resurrected from the grave, but he tells the story of the invasion of Jerusalem, and he says that the blood flowed so thick that it came to the top of the ditches in Jerusalem. If you travel through Jerusalem, those ditches are about four foot deep because they still channel the water out of that city. So it was a massive execution of people who were trying to defend their ground. So if you're afraid of Jesus, how are you going to arrest him? They all fell back. They didn't want to take hold of him because they'd heard about him. This is a guy who can walk through a crowd. You can't touch him. This is a guy who can take somebody who couldn't walk and make them walk. This is a guy who was, could heal the blind. He could change your future, and they were afraid to approach him. And then Jesus says again, because he has a mission, and I want you to understand this. He knew that he was going to die for our sins. And Jesus said, I am he. Again, they asked him, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus then said to them, answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. This fulfills a prophecy because these men are not to die at this point. The disciples aren't going to be wiped out at this point in their life. And he asked them to let them go because they have a mission to do. In just a number of days, they're going to be commissioned to do something far greater than they've ever done. And after 40 days, Jesus is going to ascend up into heaven and life is going to change for these guys because they accept the commission that was given to him. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter to put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? An attachment of soldiers and its commanders and Jewish officials arrested Jesus and bound him. Why so brave? You've got all these warriors. Peter's just an ex-sailor, and yeah, he's probably good with a sword, but he can't take on this group. These are the best warriors that Israel has. But he draws his sword and he cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus picks up the ear and reattaches it to Malchus's head. Now, how many of you would be willing to take a guy away that did that? You're going to want to think about this decision because if he can pick up an ear off the ground and reattach it and heal it, this is not a guy that I would really want to arrest. And Jesus didn't go forcefully. He went because he wanted to. You could have never taken Jesus or arrested him if he put up a fight or he'd called 10,000 angels down and said, we're done. But he willingly gave his life. But why was Peter so strong? 
Because proximity to Jesus is everything. You see, maybe there are some of you who were into the word and into prayer and you love church and you love talking to people about Jesus and you loved reaching out and something happened to you. You became stagnant and you began to move further away. And you know, the average person today, and this is over a 10-year period, the average person today calls themselves committed if they come once a month to church. It's true. A lot of national statistics, you can look them up. Uh, you have the capability of going to your phone and checking my research right now. Go do it. But how can we say we're committed when we only come for one hour in one week? The book of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's a reason. Because we have strength when we come together. Amen? We bond together, and, and I have a lot of atheist friends that I'm working with, trying to bring them along to Christ. So we'll have intelligent debates. We'll just discuss the word archaeologically, historically, spiritually. Can Jesus be the real thing? And we've had the opportunity to baptize a lot, both women and men, uh, out of their atheism and, and bring them to Christ by just challenging it. You know, it's funny, when kids go to universities, many times they face professors who will just destroy their faith. And I've often wondered, why don't they ask me to come? Rather than taking on a 20-year-old, I'd love to come in and have an intelligent debate and bring the points of the truth of Jesus and the archaeological proof. The reality is Jesus did walk the earth. Their problem is, where was he? Did he resurrect from the grave? I've been to the grave site. He's gone. <laughs> Let me tell you something else that you may not know. The Romans were the greatest power in the world. They ruled the entire known world. And you know what they did after Jesus had uh, resurrected? They dug all these graves open. They were looking for three things. They were looking for a crown of thorns, the, the imprints on his head, they were looking for a spear mark in his side. They were looking for the hands and the feet that were nailed to the cross. He was very identifiable. And they thought, well, they just put him in another tomb and, and hid him there. The truth is that he wasn't anywhere to be found. Because Jesus could appear and disappear whenever he wanted. He walked through doors. Remember how he came to the apostles? And you remember what happened to him in the end? He just descended and went into heaven. And he commissioned them, said, go into all the world, preach, teach, and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Do you think the church is really keeping that mission? And I'm not talking about your church, okay? You may be the most faithful people in the world, but the church universal is not. We're not reaching people. We're not discipling people. We're not loving people the way that we need to. And I think it's our proximity to the Savior. It's our proximity to each other and encouragement. For years, over 30 years, I've led men's accountability groups, and they rotate, and I bring in different men. I have young men and middle-aged men and older men, and I work with them for a few years, and I put into them and disciple them. But you know, not everybody's receptive to that, and not everybody will stay with it. Because sometimes our hearts get weary, and we just need more sleep, or we don't 
have time to go to church. We're so busy. And I, I can't imagine how you're going to stand before God Almighty and say, I was just too busy. I just didn't have time for you. Because you see, all the playing will be over. You are either a follower of Jesus or you're not. And the decision is up to you where you land on this and, and who you commit to. Peter had seen the power of Jesus. He was closer and braver than he'd ever been that night and was willing to challenge an entire group of men who had come to arrest him. You see, when we're with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are more accountable and we're not alone. One of the greatest problems that plague us right now in our location, in our church, and I think it may be true here, is the anxiety that young people have right now. And COVID contributed to that. They didn't go to school regularly. They didn't go to church regularly. How many of you, did you close your church? Okay. Uh, it was mandated by the state. Now, I, I'm really good friends with the police chief in Kernersville, and he said, I'm not going to arrest you if you open. But I wanted to do the right thing. So for the first month, we were closed, and I would go in the auditorium, and I had stuffed animals in all these positions. Because <laughs> I was preaching live every Sunday, and uh, people were watching, and, and we were doing three services, so they wanted to make sure that I was preaching in all three of those services, and we just hadn't taped it and put it out. So those little animals became my best friends, plus two of my uh, other assistants on my team. And I would preach at them, but they got a little tired of hearing it three times. So they walk out and go get coffee or do whatever. But it was weird. Where's the church? And then a guy came up to me who's not a believer. And he said, hey, Pete, I thought the church was always the church. Why isn't the church meeting? You all say you believe in God, you trust God, you have faith in God. Why aren't you meeting? And I told him, you know, the state had mandated. And he said, well, you ought to check that out. So I called a senator. She's in my church. Name's Joyce Kravik. And she's state senator. And she directed me to, to call the attorney for the state. And I asked him the question, can we go back and meet? And he said, I can make no law against the church. I said, are you telling me that we can go back to meeting? He said, I can make no law against the church. I called up my guys and said, we're going back to work. We're going to reopen the doors. We're going to spray it. We're going to separate some of the seating. We're going to make it safe. We're going to kill all the COVID in there with a, a fogger that we're going to use, just like some of the hospitals and different organizations. But we're coming back because our people will fall away if we can't be together. And we have seen the most massive departure of people in churches across America that we've ever seen. And people just didn't come back. We're, we're over 1,000 again. I think we're running around 1,200. I don't really pay attention to the numbers. But a lot of people have come back, but they're not the same people. I had people tell me point blank, I just don't need the church anymore. I realized while we were out in COVID all this time that we were good. And I don't want to get back into that environment and maybe get sick or get COVID. But 
did you realize that Lowe's was the busiest and sold more materials than they've ever sold in the history of their store? Do you realize that Walmart is still busy? And I would run across people there and they'd go, well, we can't come to church, it's too crowded. I said, take a look. You're touching things that they're touching. You're breathing air that they're breathing. And then I'd go to a restaurant and it was packed out when they first started opening. And they said, well, we'll be back to church maybe in about six months. Well, what are you doing here? You see, our criteria is whatever we want. That's the truth of the matter. I'm going to do and I'm going to go wherever I want to go. Amen? It's the way it works. And if I want to go to church, I'll be at church. I'll mask up or I won't mask. It was a nightmare for me those first few months. The maskers and the unmaskers were just eating me alive. And I said, you know, do whatever you got to do. Just come to church. We've sprayed it. You're good to go. And we did not have one case out of our church directly connected to COVID. Do you know why? Because God showed up again. Actually, he'd never left. He made a decision that we should be faithful and that we should share the word of God and we shouldn't hide like the world hides. But you see, it's exactly what happened to Peter. In Luke twenty-two fifty-four, it says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Now I want you to listen to the next portion of this verse. Luke is a doctor. He's extremely specific in his books. He gives more detail in the book of Acts and the book of Luke of a lot of events than anyone else. But he makes a statement in this that you need to hear. And Peter followed at a distance. Proximity. The further away I am from Jesus, the more into the world I get. It's true of all of us. You know, we went off to college and, and maybe that's kind of where you removed yourself from the church a little bit or from that faith. And maybe you got married and, and you just didn't have time, you and your spouse, and, and you just said, you know, when I get time, I'll go back. And you know when most people come back? It's when they have children. The greatest influx of people into our church right now at both campuses, our satellite campus at Union Cross and our main campus in Kernersville, are, have the hugest influx of young couples and their children we've ever seen. Now, a lot of them haven't placed membership. They're going through our connection port, and then they'll go through an, another series of classes that will help to engage them. Some of them are going into our home Bible studies and, and being ministered to. There are a lot of avenues that we're working to bring them in. And this old man's retiring because of that. I said, you know what? I'm not going to draw a lot of those young couples, but I know that the guy I'm bringing in behind me is going to. He's 33 years old. He's a great preacher, good guy, and he is connecting with those young people. And I told my wife, it's time to get out of the way, and, and I'm not retiring. I'm going to medical missions, and I love it, and... I'm going to have some opportunities to work here in the United States and do medical missions going across the sea. And God's going to use me, but I need to get out of the way so as these young people influx into the church that we can receive them and they will feel comfortable with being ministered to the, the person 
that can minister to them in their own age bracket that understands. I don't understand technology. I got a 14-year-old granddaughter, and she does all my technology. I look brilliant if you don't know she's in the background. But you see, there comes a time when you don't move away from ministry, but you move over a little bit, and you allow somebody to come in and do that work. My son-in-law is the satellite minister at the other campus, and I didn't hire him. The elders hired him. He was a professional fighter um, for almost eight years, and he's tough as nails, and he's as gentle as a teddy bear. But people love him, those young people, because he's young. He's 32 years old. He loves people. He loves ministry. He's a great preacher, and he's drawing in all these young people into his church. And he's got the men's men coming to the church. These guys are all muscle-bound, and, and they exercise all the time. I used to be. Those days are gone. You know, I went to fight with him one day. Not truly. I was holding these bags that he could punch. And he, the difference between an amateur and a professional is how they punch. And he would lift me off the ground, holding those bags, and just punch me up in the air. And I decided I'm not going to get broke here. I'm done with that. So one day he called me and he said, Pete, I've got to be hit a number of times. I'm prepping for a fight. And this is before he was in ministry with us. And I uh, said, so I can hit you as hard as I want, wherever I want? He said, yes, sir, I've got to get toughened up and take some body shots. We've been sparring, but you have pretty good punch because I kickbox till I... Yes, come in. <laughs> I kickbox till I was about almost 62. And uh, so I was punching at him, and I never did get close to his head because he's brilliant blocker but I put the hardest shots in and he just walked away and said that was a nice light session thank you Pete <laughs> so uh, sometime you can have Josh down here he'll let you fire but he is reaching the people and bringing them into the proximity of the church you see the pressure was too much for Peter and in Luke 22 50 through 60 he says and when some of them had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated by the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, that man was with him. But he denied it, first denial. Now I want to remind you that Jesus told him he would deny him three times. Woman, I don't know him. He said, after a little while, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not. Now, I will tell you in the original Hebrew and Greek language, or in the Greek language, excuse me, um, he cussed. He was a sailor. And he wanted to prove that he wasn't a follower of Jesus. And then they said, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Do you know how they knew he was a Galilean? Accent. Galileans had a different accent than the people who lived in Jerusalem. 
and it pegged him. But yet he denied him, and he walks away. But something happens to Peter. As he's walking out of the courtyard and getting ready to leave, Jesus appears. Listen to verse 61 and 62. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he whipped, he went outside and wept bitterly. I want to tell you something about weeping bitterly. I haven't seen it a lot, but I have seen that. I got a call one afternoon to go to the High Point Hospital, and it was by the police department in High Point. And I don't even know why I'm going. They won't tell me. They don't say anything about it. I get to the hospital. There are officers there waiting for me and a detective. And he says, Mr. Kunkel, I need you to come back here. So I go back, and there's a little three-year-old girl, and she's laying on a stretcher, and she is lifeless. Her babysitter beat her to death. And... Uh, this little girl wasn't a stranger to me. I knew her and her parents very, very well. And they'd called the parents and they asked me to come before they got there because they knew what the reaction would be like. And they came in that room and they saw that little girl and all the bruising, cuts. And they wept and they wept so bitterly you could hear it all over that emergency room. And I heard that weeping, and I've never been able to forget it. I can't get it out of my head. When I think about this time, I can hear those sounds. Because they said, we shouldn't have left her. We shouldn't let her go. She didn't want to go this morning. We should have just kept her at home. And, and they were blaming themselves for something someone else did. But you see, Peter had denied Jesus because of proximity. He was no longer beside him. He was no longer in touch with him. And he was following at a distance. And he lost his bravery because he was all by himself. You see, there's another reason the church meets is because we get strength from each other. Y'all have any friends here? Okay, don't raise your hand if you don't have any friends. Okay? Or maybe you should. I'll be your friend. You're not weird, are you? <laughs> you see, we all need somebody to come alongside of us and to love us and to encourage us and to be there for us. And Peter didn't have that outside Caiaphas' house that night. You see, as they led Jesus out, the one part you may not know is that at Caiaphas' house, there's a dungeon area underneath, and um, they took Jesus and they hoisted him up like this. And then they beat him with rods, and they spit on him, and they punched him. And he had endured that almost all night. And then you're aware of what the Romans did to him when they got him. They scourged him. Thirty-nine lashes. I had a surgeon come to our church, and he 
talked about the death of Jesus and what had happened to him. And he believed that Jesus would not have been recognizable. That he'd been beaten and the bruises were so big his eyes were shut and he was bleeding. And it is incredible how far, because we do the Via Della Rosa, how far Jesus carried that cross before he dropped. He just couldn't do it anymore. He lost an enormous amount of blood. He'd been up all night. He'd been severely beaten. And he was just, he was human along with being God. And he just couldn't carry it any further. And he dropped. And the Romans said, you'll carry the cross. And the guy's name was Simeon. And he came and carried the cross. How would you like to be the guy carrying Jesus' cross? The truth of the matter is, you are. Remember what Jesus said? Take up your cross and what? Follow me. It's time for the church to be the church. I'm sick and tired of what's going on in our country, and, and we can't determine whether boys are boys or girls are girls, and we have to use this now and we have to use this baloney. I teach my children that they're boys, that they're girls, that they're men, that they're women. Anybody confused about that? Great, we got a whole group of intelligent people who, who understand what sex they are. But we're trying to redefine people. And what they're actually trying to do is take the church out of that component. And if you're not aware of that, you haven't seen the attacks that are coming to churches, especially churches our size. We're censored all the time. Some of the scripture that we put up does not make it online. They'll censor it out. There are a lot of things that they're doing and, and reviewing of the things that we do, but we're going to stand true to the Word of God. I'm not negotiating at the table of the wicked. I'm not going to let the wicked tell me what I preach. I'm not going to let the wicked denounce the name of Jesus. I'm not going to let them deconstruction the church. I'm going to be firm, I'm going to stand, and we're going to continue to move forward. Whether it's in medical ministry or whether it's in the preaching ministry or helping churches and ministering to them, we're going to move forward. The church is going to be triumphant. I read the whole book. We win. I know sometimes we think we're losing, but we're not losing. God is in control. You all believe that? He's going to stay in control and he's coming back. And the reality is you better be ready. Because when he comes, Scripture says he'll come as a thief in the night. I got a call last night. We got robbed at our other campus. And uh, they broke into a building and they were taking all of our uh, mowers. And we have, I gave the church a, a $12,000 mower. And they got it out, but they're stupid. Crooks are usually stupid. Okay. So they run this thing out and they run it into the ditch. Well, that machine probably weighs, I don't know, 1,200, 1,300 pounds, and they can't get it out of the ditch. So apparently somebody figures out there's somebody back there and they come back and they drop everything except for a blower. And the other thing they don't understand is that we have cameras all over our building. It says as you drive down the driveway that you're under surveillance. So we got a really good look at this guy. Climbed through a window, had two other guys with him. We got their license plate, got it all. So we're going to go after him, and we're going to get our blower back. They dropped everything else because they got scared. Because they're not in proximity to Jesus. 
And when you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you'll go in and take somebody's television. You'll go and take somebody's tools. You'll go and take somebody's wife. You'll go and take somebody's life. So proximity to Jesus is extremely important. And my prayer for you this morning, Tim's going to come up and offer the invitation, but my prayer for you is that you get in right proximity with Jesus. If you've moved away, get back with him. If you need somebody to be accountable to, then find somebody who will help hold you to the fire and help you to be committed to your relationship with Jesus. Because it is imperative. Young people, where you go to school, universities, find somebody in the university who has a core belief as you do and continue to stand firm in Christ Jesus. Because if the church doesn't do it, we will fall. The church will continue on even if it's a very minute number of people. Because Jesus will find someone who is faithful to carry his message. Will you be faithful to carry his message this morning? Will you be start war enough to tell others of the grace and the love of Jesus? You don't beat them down, you love them up. You share the hope that Jesus gives. The hope of eternity. I'll close with this. In the last two years, I've buried 24 people who overdosed on heroin. These weren't strangers. Remember, I've been in the church, same church, for almost 36 years. These were all kids I knew. And I know their families. And I know the pain that they're going through. But it was all about proximity. I can't make people go to church. It's not my job. My job is to invite you and that you embrace the Savior. And if you have a true relationship with Jesus, it's hard to walk away from him. And that's what he's calling you to do. Just be faithful. The church would be totally different in one year if you were to disciple one person for Christ. In 365 days, do you think you could lead somebody and hand them over to Jesus? I think you can. You just have to believe it yourself. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come and I honor you for who you are. I know that you're real. I know that you died on a cross. I know that you resurrected from the grave. And I know that you ascended into heaven, but your promise was that you're coming back. So, Lord, I just plead with you, I beg with you, that you would affect the hearts of people in, in this church. And, Lord, I know there may be some people who will walk out of here and shake their head and say, I don't believe it, I'm not going to do it. But maybe there's a few people who go, I'm in. I'm not afraid to stand for you, Lord, and I'm not ashamed of you. So help them to have that courage and strength in what seem to be perilous times, but help us to remember that your light shines the brightest in darkness. So today's the day to light those lights and to allow people to see a place of hope and a place of safety. Jesus Peter said, cast all your cares on
me. Lord, may we do that today and trust you. You speaking Jesus' words. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being here. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.